I want to begin this morning by uh, thanking uh, Jeff, Ed, and Austin last week for filling in uh, for me as I headed north uh, last week to celebrate uh, the retirement of uh, my father from 41 years of full-time pastoral ministry. And um, it's quite a feat. He and my mom are here uh, this morning, so you can greet them and thank them uh, for their work in, uh, in Christ Church. As I told the people of Wiser Lake Chapel last Sunday when I was up there and got a chance to speak, uh, they're not dead. They're still here, and they're still going to be ministering uh, in the name of Christ, but uh, thankful for the opportunity for me to slip away last week. If you were here last week, you know that Dr. Capshaw preached from God's Word uh, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, on the subject of money. And the, uh, the sermon title was Low Pressure, High Impact Giving. And if you weren't here last week, like I wasn't here last week, uh, let me encourage you to go online, as I did, and listen to his sermon, because it's well worth your time. And I suspect some of you maybe last week when you uh, saw Jeff get up and what he was going to preach on, you were thinking to yourself, man, Nate, you put him up to that, didn't you? Pastor goes out of town Pastor goes, I know Wheeler was thinking that. Pastor goes out of town and brings in his hired gun to talk about money, right? That's what you're thinking. I promise you, I didn't put him up to that. Uh, he chose that a long time ago. Uh, but I will say this, it was more than fitting uh, that Jeff would open up the scriptures and talk to you about giving. It was fitting, first of all, because the Bible talks plenty about our money, Jesus' recorded words, something like 15% of Jesus' recorded words, I don't know how they figure that out, but something like that tie in in some way to money. Yet we in the church, particularly we in the Presbyterian and reform world, we probably don't talk about money enough. And maybe our silence is an overreaction I'm guessing, to the many abuses in the church of those asking for money, right? And there's plenty of that in the evangelical world. I will acknowledge that, and I will say that that is not the gospel. But we can't let, we can't let abuses in speaking about a topic close us off from rightly talking about something that the Bible says that the Lord says is a clear reflection of our hearts. Money is therefore a deeply spiritual matter. Money is not merely pragmatical. It's also not a demanded private issue. I think sometimes we think that you, you, you don't get to know anything about my spending habits. You don't have the right. It's a hard issue. Money's a hard issue, and it's an issue that the world constantly screws us up on because the culture around us thinks so differently about our stuff than we are called to think about our stuff. And because of this, it's something that I think our hearts need constant realignment on. And so it's good that Jeff spoke about money 
The second reason why I think Jeff's sermon on money was appropriate is because this is a new year for all of us, right? And the turn of the calendar does something in us, for better or for worse, makes us think about new goals, about new priorities, and that's true for us as a church as well. Your session, your elders, your treasurer has been, have been thinking hard and, and discussing a new budget, a 2020 budget, an ambitious 2020 budget, one that steps out in faith and, and seeks to stretch us as a congregation in this area of giving. The bottom line is this. Not only was it appropriate, I think, for Jeff to speak about money last week, but it's appropriate for me to prove that he wasn't my hired gun by adding my own voice to the conversation this morning. And so yes, I'm going to speak about money. For those of you visiting this morning, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm not sorry. I normally preach through books of the Bible. We are in the book of 1 Peter, and we will return to 1 Peter, Lord willing, next week. But this morning, in light of where we are as a church, in light of the turn of the new year, I want to turn to the book of Proverbs. I want to turn to the topic of our wealth, and I want to look for wisdom, wisdom from the Lord in regards to these things. It'd be easier this morning for you probably to follow along with the reading of God's word with the insert that's found in your bulletin rather than flipping through your Bibles trying to keep up with Proverbs. Now we've studied Proverbs years ago here at Ascension. I want to remind you, those of you who weren't here, even those who were here, that Proverbs is a book instructing us on life as it was meant to be lived. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this is God's design for life, a life that is captured and controlled by who God is and what he has accomplished for us through Jesus. And the book of Proverbs doesn't explicitly mention Jesus. It doesn't explicitly mention the gospel, but I don't want us to lose sight of the gospel even as we dive into this subject. Because this is a book and this is a, a sermon that, needs to, that should remind us that apart from Jesus, these principles, this wisdom, it can only take us so far. We need Jesus' finished work to motivate us and to put our lives into perspective. We need his ongoing presence through the power of his spirit. Even to hear rightly this morning these Proverbs and this wisdom concerning our wealth. And so that's where we're headed this morning for the next few minutes. If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be jumping around using myself this insert that you find in your bulletin. So I'm not going to read each reference. I encourage you to follow along here. We'll begin in Proverbs 3 and then continue on. Listen as I read, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. 
Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Whoever gives to the poor will not want but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds that he should give and only suffers want. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Be seated. That's a lot of scripture to throw at you. I'm gonna be throwing a lot more at you, smothering you with wisdom from God's word on this topic, but I hope to at least categorize it in some major truths that you can get your head around and meditate on today and this week. I'm not gonna beat a dead horse for those of you who are here last week. I'm just gonna begin by saying that you and I are rich, that you and I are wealthy, I think Jeff talked about this some last week. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about it. Simply stating the reality that we have a lot of stuff. I have a great book on my shelf at home. Uh, I have, I like coffee books, the coffee table books. And I have a great book on my shelf at home. It's not on my coffee table because I have too many coffee table books. So you gotta put them on your shelf once they get to that point. Anyway, uh, it's a book called Material World. And it's a photo essay uh, by a guy named Peter Menzel. And he did it years ago. And it's a fascinating thing where he goes to 30, I think it's 30, or 18 or 30 different countries. And he selects a family representative of that culture, and he has them take everything out of their dwelling and put it in their front yard. And then he, high from a crane, he takes a picture of their dwelling, their family, and their stuff. It is a fascinating visual glimpse of the material world that we live in. Because the representative family of Texas can barely fit their stuff in their front yard. The representative family from Mali in Africa, basically their stuff is on their table. You and I are wealthy. When we think of wealth, we often think of of money, and that's fine as long as we remember that when Proverbs speaks of wealth in these verses that I just read, it's speaking of the possession of valuable goods. 
Wealth in, wealth in Proverbs doesn't necessarily mean a lot of, of money. It meant a lot of valuable goods because the exchange of coins and currency really didn't come till later in the Old Testament period. It's a minor point, but it one, it's one that helps us underline the reality that we all are incredibly wealthy in this room. Even if you have $10 in your bank account, if you're living month to month, when compared to the standard of living of much of the world, when our stuff is put next to their stuff, when our valuable goods are compared with theirs, it doesn't even compare. That's a humbling thing. The book of Proverbs and these Proverbs that we read, they don't solve that discrepancy. I'm not here this morning to solve that discrepancy. But it does remind every one of us that even if we struggle with our finances, while I don't want to minimize your struggle, we are people of great wealth. And I say all that just to say this is a sermon for everyone in this room. You can't tune me out. And so I want to try to think about the wisdom from God's word here in in the book of Proverbs by three hopefully memorable statements from God's word. And the first one is this. Your wealth isn't really yours. Your wealth isn't really yours. It might be in your house. It might be parked in your driveway. It might be in your storage unit or show up in your bank account, but it is not yours. Now that's an obvious truth, right? We, we know that intellectually. Psalm 24 begins, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, of course it is. But how easily we forget that in life when calamity or hardship comes upon us, when we fall short, we're quick to get frustrated at God. But when we succeed, when success comes our way, Of course I get a bonus. I worked hard this year. It's about time they recognize my hard work. Suddenly it's all about us. But the Bible proclaims a creator God who is intimately involved in his creation. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty in Haggai 2.8. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, Deuteronomy 8.18. The Lord pronounced to Solomon that he would give him both wisdom and riches. And riches. Our God is a God of wealth and a God who gives wealth. But then, of course, we have words like this. Jesus' words in Luke 6. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And even more pointedly in Matthew 19, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So which is it? Should we produce wealth? Should we avoid wealth? Well, that is a long and involved answer. That's more than a one-off or a two-week sermon series by Jeff and Nate. But simply note this morning that the attitude of the book of Proverbs the book of, or, or the passages that we read in particular, 
the attitude of Proverbs is primarily positive in regards to our wealth. Just look at those first two Proverbs we read. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and He'll give you more wealth. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. Gold and rubies, diamonds and emeralds, every precious stone and metal that we say has inherent value and worth has been created by God and pronounced good. They were made for our enjoyment and ultimately for His glory. It's why Solomon can say, Solomon, the man of wisdom, can say in Ecclesiastes 5, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Therefore, I think it's worth saying That the way of wisdom doesn't necessarily run from wealth, but it recognizes and remembers that wealth is from the Lord and that wealth is ultimately the Lord's. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. And if that's the case, if wealth is from God and not ours, therefore it has a purpose. He's given you your money, he's given me my money and stuff for a reason. Therefore, we ought to view ourselves not as owners, but as investment managers. Investment managers who are not only constantly filled with gratitude and humility for what we've been given, but investment managers who don't hoard, but are always thinking about how to invest. Mindful of the fact that the master is returning. And what this means is that we can't compartmentalize our lives as so many of us are prone to do at times. Sunday is the Lord's day. That's my day for you, God, and the things of God. But when I get back to work on Monday, it's, it's business as usual. It's capitalism as usual. The Bible says whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Every moment of our lives is holy, and so God calls us to live lives that show that while God has given us good gifts to enjoy, they're only gifts. They're never to be enjoyed outside of the giver and never as ends in themselves. And so living in the fear of the Lord, living in the light of the good news of the one who gave his life as a ransom for us all helps us recategorize our wealth and our money. It is God's. He gives it as he chooses. He takes it away when he chooses. We are called to live simply with difficulty at times, but in stewardship. Your wealth isn't really yours. That's the first encouragement from God's word. The second is this. Your wealth wants to use you. Your wealth wants to 
to use you, not wealth by itself, but wealth in conjunction with the, with the tendencies of our heart, right? With those things that the scriptures points out to us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your wealth wants to use you. Right, I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, your, that money, Nathan, is burning a hole in your pocket. Right? You've said that to some of your kids. Kids, you have felt that money burning a hole in your pocket. It was true. You, you can't stop thinking about it. You check to see if it's still there multiple times. As our family watched, uh, and we're actually currently re-watching uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you're like Frodo with, with the ring, the precious, constantly checking if it's there. It's controlling you. From a PBS special, throw some statistics at you. The average American shops six hours a week while spending 40 minutes playing with their children. By age 20, we've seen one million commercials. And then recently, and I think these are actually a pretty old stat, recently more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. Your wealth wants to control you. Our hearts are longing for security. They're longing to be satisfied and they too easily look to wealth for it. Proverbs states this reality. We read it in chapter 10. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Proverbs 11, 4 and 7. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth perishes too. We read it earlier, Jesus warned about the storing of earthly treasure, and he does it in the context of anxiety and what it does to our hearts and our minds as we get wrapped all around it. The way of wisdom guards itself against wealth and the power that it wants to wield over us. Way of wisdom remembers and reminds ourselves that we don't need it to be satisfied. We don't need it to be safe. Our God reminds us this morning that those things can only come from his fatherly hand. And he's a good father. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, one of the passages, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for it suddenly sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. If we could only remember that picture. How, how many things that we opened up less than a week ago have already lost their luster? We save and we save and we buy it. We open the package and it grows wings and it flies away. Pretty soon the Amazon drone needs to come deliver our package and then hang out for five minutes to take our package back after we're done with it. Guard your hearts against the empty temporary promises of stuff. And this is hard to do. It's hard for me to do It's hard for me as a father to encourage my kids to do. 
We want to lavish on our kids, right? We want to lavish on them goodness, like our Father has lavished on us. But always in this context of the temporary nature of things. Your wealth wants to use you. Don't let it use and consume you. And that brings us to the last thing that I want to focus on for just a moment. The best way to guard our hearts against wealth is to give it away. Use your wealth to worship. We've seen this encouragement in other places, most recently in James chapter five, the end of last year, where James spoke to the rich. Use your wealth as a tool, don't let it be a trap. Honoring the Lord with our wealth means showing his significance by the way we spend our money. The handling of our finances is worship. Proverbs 14, 31, the last thing that we read. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. You may consider yourself rich in this room. You may consider yourself poor. In one sense, God doesn't care. It doesn't matter because God is simply after your heart. The amount doesn't concern him. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your money. He wants a heart that is not controlled by wealth, that is not seeking to find its security there, but that is worshiping him, the giver of all good things. So the way of wisdom uses wealth to worship. One of the passages Jeff used last week was 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's because of his life poured out for us that we can pour our lives out for others. Zacchaeus' words, remember Zacchaeus, that wee little man, wee little man was we, climbed up in the sycamore tree, Luke 19, 8, look, Lord. This is after the gospel impacts him. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is a heart that has been impacted by the gospel, by the generosity of God in Jesus. Wealth is from him, it's a good gift. Remember that, it's not yours, but guard against the hold it wants to have on you, the perversion of life it wants to give you. Hold it loosely, give it freely as an act of worship. Here's the bottom line, and we'll close with this. American Christians, on average, give between two to three percent of their income. It's pretty hard to believe. I almost guarantee that Ascension Presbyterian is better than that, way better than that. And I, I commend you saints for your generosity, for your perspective on your wealth because I know many of you are giving way more than that. But I also know, I suspect, I don't have hard data to prove this, but I suspect that many of you are not. Whether it be 
from fear or something else. You're struggling to trust the Lord with what you've been given. And so my prayer over these last two weeks from two different voices, I pray that God gives us all the grace of giving freely and joyfully, not just for others' sakes, but for our own sake. For our own act of worship. Yes, I mean, we've got people on the front lines of ministry that need us, that need our support. Yes, we've got ministry here that needs to function, ministry to one another as we grow in grace, as we disciple one another, ministry to our kids as we train up the next generation, ministry as we minister to the communities around us and in which we live. This all takes resources. But more than that, God wants a heart that seeks first his kingdom, his righteousness, and allows everything else to fall into place. And so as we close this morning, this wealth of wisdom concerning our wealth from God's word, I wanna encourage you to do two things, and this is real, real practical, real rubber meets the road. First of all, on the back table, there is a booklet. It's a blue booklet. The God Who Gives. And it's a five-day generosity devotional is what it's called. It's written by a guy named Kelly Capick. He's a professor uh, at Covenant College down in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. And it's just further teaching and encouragement from God's word on hearts of generosity. I want to encourage you, I think we have enough for each family to take one. Would you take one of these and then this week work through it? Five days of this week, just open it up each morning, look at the passage that he speaks on and and read it and think about it. let's, Let's digest this together and let the Lord challenge us together on this. Secondly, next Sunday morning during the nine o'clock hour, and I know that this excludes immediately some teachers, but I think the teachers that are teaching will have spouses, hopefully, that are in here that can relay information. Um, But next Sunday morning at 9 a.m., we're having a family meeting. And this is different than the congregational meeting that's happening on February 9th. That's our official meeting where we'll vote on officer candidates But this meeting next Sunday morning at 9 a.m., for the adults anyway, you kids will be in your classes, is for the purpose of presenting, well, not even presenting, but talking about the budget that the session has put together as a church. As I said earlier, it's an ambitious budget, which is why I, I wanted to underline and underscore Jeff's sermon from last week, which is why I went where I went today, is because we are excited about what the Lord, what we feel the Lord is calling us to do as a church, as a body. And we wanna, we wanna cast that vision to you because we want you to get excited about what we as a church are hoping to do in 2020. That that in turn by the power of the Spirit and through the working of his word, both in the book of Proverbs and in 2 Corinthians last week, that God would create in you even a greater generosity. 
to his work and to his kingdom and to his mission in the world. And so on the back table, again, in addition to one of these blue booklets, are copies of our budget for this year. And I encourage each, again, and we don't have copies for everybody in this room, but just one per family, grab a copy of the budget. And if you have immediate questions, like before you walk out of here, find any of your elders, and we'll try to answer those questions for you. If we don't know the answer, we'll send you to Brett and Bob, because they know the answer. Um, But during the week, look over the budget. If you have questions about it, email me, email any of us. Otherwise, save your questions for next Sunday morning, and we're gonna talk through this as we seek to, as a church, live lives of radical generosity for the sake of the kingdom. We're hoping to do this in in concert, together. And so I'm excited about what the Lord will do in us. I pray that the Lord would make 2020, a year of profound sacrificial generosity, both in my life, in your life, and in our lives together for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us, not the least of which is giving us eyes to see the glory of Christ giving us salvation through Jesus our Lord, but on top of that, you have given us freedom as citizens of a country where we worship freely. You have given us material blessing and comfort. And Father, we want to hold on to that loosely. We want to be good stewards of that which you've entrusted into our care. And so we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts as we think about it, as we let your spirit work in us, that indeed this would take tangible effect in our lives and in our life together. Not for the glory of Ascension Presbyterian Church, not for the glory of the PCA, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, whose name ought to be praised in every corner of this planet and indeed will be praised as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Father, make it so, we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen.